Get ready to speak geek. People who get it, get it. This is the Geek Speak Show. Geek is spoken here. They're listening. You're consuming. You're watching with your ears. Oh, you just listen. This is the Geek Speak Show. Featuring Henry San Miguel, Rachel Rosselli, and Joel Chapitana. And interviews with the movers and shakers in geek culture. Hi, I'm Chris Hardwick. Hey, this is Todd McFarland. I'm Ralph Bakshi. Hi, this is Tara Platt. And this is Yuri Lowenthal. I'm Zach Whedon. Let's be geek with Henry, Rachel, and Joe. 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 Let us speak geek. Another exciting episode of the Geek Speak show about to invade your ear. That sounded disgusting, but hey. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Here's Rachel. Hi, Rachel. Hi. We, uh, we lost Joel. Remember last week when you said we were going to be scared him? and run for cover? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. I wasn't saying it's in my, he's in my pocket, but there's a joke in that and we'd have to say, shut that up, Joel. You, yeah. yeah you got to stop right now. Speaking of infecting, he infected my vocabulary. But let's, <laughs> let's start it off like we always do, talking about TV. Not a lot. Everybody's on break. I, I guess everybody's getting ready to trick or treat or something. Mondays, obviously, Sleepy Hollow, the Headless Horseman, and about Kinder Out. Going to be you probably see him out in your neighborhood trick or treating uh, tomorrow evening. But so they will come back. Ne- not not well, you missed it already on Monday, but ne- next Monday they will come back eight o'clock with an all new episode. And and I mentioned it a couple weeks ago. John Noble comes to Sleepy Hollow. Yes, yeah, Sleepy <laughs> Hollow just got that much better because he's going to have John Noble now. Um. Graham returned pretty good. It's a it's a two parter. The two, second part comes out on Friday, uh, just as good as as always. A lot a lot of if you like zombie stuff, you you like actually you like this one. You you can't you know you can't watch uh, AMC's The Walking Dead without covering your eyes. But this one you actually like. Um, Dracula. I talked about the premiere last week. I saw it. Yeah. Saw it again. Watched it again. It, it, it's okay. I mean, I understand it's the pilot, and you have to kind of introduce all the characters really? and everything. Um, I, I had friends that have been telling me that they loved it, and I haven't watched it yet. Uh, well, I mean, well, I like it because it do, it does follow not you know not word for word, not the whole thing. It right. does follow the. It's kind of like it is kind of a little bit like Sleepy Hollow, where the uh, the Sleepy Hollow. Um, we all know the the story, but it, but the the TV show puts the Ichabod Crane and the sleep in the uh, the headless horseman. It puts them in different situations, and it, it does. Right mention other characters from the story but they play different roles same thing here uh, jonathan harker is not a vampire hunter yet he's um, a reporter actually in this one and you and, know and dracula is <laughs> uh, everyone hates reporters for some reason i don't understand well if you guys quit spoiling stuff maybe we wouldn't hate you so much <laughs> um so so and I, I like it i mean again i'm i I've said this before. I think you you said this before also about shows. We you you and I we usually give shows maybe three or four episodes, and if we yeah. lose them by the fourth, and eh, you lost us. So yeah, if you, I I was happy with it. I didn't say I didn't like it or anything, but I I liked it. I just um I hope you start focusing more on on uh, on the Dracula and the and, and the, uh, the underlying story there with the uh, the secret society. That to me is kind of interesting. So I hope they cover more of that as the mm-hmm. show goes on. So again, uh, Grimm and Dracula back to back on Fridays on NBC. The Fangasm finale happened. I, I let you know about a week and a half go before I actually talked about it because I know not everybody had watched it yet, so I didn't want to spoil anything. Congratulations to Danny, the the smallest one of, of the Fangasm crew. She's the one who actually won the the um, the internship turned into an actual paid position. So she's going to be this coming weekend. Actually, this coming weekend, you guys are all if you're going, you're all going to see them at Stan Lee's Kamikaze. 
Excelsior is over here. The autograph picture gave me. <laughs> but all the Fangasm crew is going to be there. She, Danny, she's the one that won. Um, now that it's over, I got to say, I really like that show. It was, it was pretty short also. Uh, not, not saying that I didn't like Heroes of Cosplay. It, it, it was pretty good. But that one, Heroes of Cosplay, I think we talked about it here. It was more... That was more of a reality kind of show where the, mm-hmm. the, the kind of reality where you, okay, that's not what cosplaying is about. But, you know, we discussed that with Yaya when she was on. This one, yeah, it is. it did take kind of the reality thing, the format, I guess you call it. But it, it, it it's people that I, w- that I would want to hang out with. I would want any of them here. Andrew, Mike, Mike, actually Mike and Paul. <laughs> Um, see, and this is why I, I like them. Mike, I, I, I thought of as our, the, our Joel, the way Joel is. Uh-huh. Mike, he tries to be cool, but at the same time, his geekiness always comes out anyway. It gets yep, in the way. Yep. Yeah, that's Joel. Paul is, is kind of like our producer, Angel. He he tries to be nice to everybody, but then sometimes just the way he... He he, mean, he means nice, but just the way he says things is like, wait, what? What did you say? <laughs> um, <laughs> You're like, so, I'm not sure if that's an insult or a compliment. It's a... I don't know. Take it as you want to take it. She's, you know, <laughs> Angel's giving me the uh, yeah, thank you. I think kind of look. <laughs> See exactly. Um, but yeah, that that happened. The fangasm finale happened. I hope they bring that back. And obviously, it's going to be you know different cast. But um, I I like them. I'm uh I may have either Danny or Andrew. He was another one. He was a fan favorite. No pun intended. There. He was the fan favorite on on the <laughs> fangasm crew. So I may have him on. He's doing um a, a comment. It's not. I mean, his geeking is going to come out too, but he's doing um, uh, a YouTube series, web series, I guess you call it. It's a, it's a comedy Something. thing because he is. A, we saw some of that in the in, the, uh, in one of the episodes. He is a stand up comedian there in LA. Actually, you can probably go to LA and, and see him yourself. It's pretty funny, yeah. actually. So, uh, what else? That's it. I mean, like I said, there's nothing really happening Sundays. AMC's Walking Dead. Big announcement. AMC just announced that they don't want to show it anymore, so they canceled it. Yeah, right. No, but the biggest <laughs> debut like, ever. What? <laughs> they just announced Walking Dead renewed for a fifth season. Only three episodes in to the season number four. So pretty good, actually. But I will say now a lot of questions are coming out. I think I think you heard Joel and I talk about it before the, the season four premiere. Who's Who do you think is going to die? Glenn yeah, or, yeah, or, yeah, or yeah. Daryl? I think they're both gonna die because you know everybody's got the the everybody's got that virus now. Now Glenn's really sick. We know that everybody who's in the prison there's a good chance that you might get it so they might just wipe the slate clean and start with a whole new crew starting in season five so we'll see what happens speaking of some kind of crazy things actually um have you caught up with revolution yes i have finally so the whole nanomite thing and aaron is like can see through them and stuff and he's connected somehow i told you the first time it happened i was like "Uh, okay i'm a little weary about where this is going and now when i first saw that (laughs) <laughs> how did how well, the Matrix get into the revolution? Yeah, and and now it's continuing with that. Like now he can spoiler alert light people on fire with it or something or control elements. I'm not really sure. So I you know why they did that. I hope we don't go too far into like the science of this you know particular thing because the whole appeal of this has been the grittiness and and the lack of all of that. So. Um, yeah, we're gonna have to pay attention and see what happens. I'm saying, you know why they did that? They did that because Agents of Shield had a—they call him Scorch—but they had a guy who could literally light you on fire if you wanted to. So hey, we got to do that too. But but yeah, I I, I kind of don't like that because now you you are kind of bringing technology, sort of, if you want to call it's it. It's like another—it's a whole other you know universe that we're moving into at this point, and so yeah. yeah. So 
what, that's it for TV. I mean, nothing else was going on. I, I said the AMC's renewed The Walking Dead. Big shock there, huh? For for well, a fifth season. And Big Bang Theory is, of course, hilarious every week. I'm still in love with that. Yes, you and our Angel over here are the only, ones, the only two yes. that watch it. Hey! No! <laughs> There's tons of people that love um, Losing you. What what happened? Whatever. <laughs> now, <laughs> Now, actually, speaking of big news, um, we haven't talked about Star Wars in a while. There is, there was, some, there was a Star Wars announcement. I'll take, I'll let you take that one. Oh my God! There was a huge announcement, and if you guys haven't heard it yet, I should slap you. So this is what happened. We no longer have Michael Arndt on as a writer. He aren't writing it. <laughs> Which, let's be honest, when he got announced, we all were a little bit weary, like, okay, someone, you know, that hasn't done something of this magnitude um, before, now we're going to write Star Wars, the best thing of all time. But, um, for reasons we don't know, now we've moved and we have J.J. himself on as a writer, and, ready, ready, Lawrence Kasten. Yes. A fan like us and somebody who was there with the originals. So it, for you, those of you that don't know, and you should, this is the guy. This is the guy that did Raiders of Lost Art, that did um, The Empire Strikes Back. Hello. Uh, uh, hello. Um, of course, he, he was involved in um, a few other things since then, but th- those are his, his yeah, A few little ones. movies you may have watched, maybe. You know. Oh, my God. So this... This is going to be amazing. I'm so excited. I was excited that we got JJ, but now that we've got those two writing as well, it. it, it I will say this about that. I was excited because, you know, I did want JJ to be in, in, in charge. Yeah. He is, but I wanted to be in charge of everything. But that also means there is a good chance he might bring in Damon Lindelof to rewrite some things, or even Orky and Kurtzman, Roberto Orky and Alex Kurtzman to do all this stuff. Now, well, I've talked this up to death. You know, I wasn't happy at all with Into Darkness. I just thought not because it wasn't a good movie, but because it was just lazy writing to me. I mean, you guys are extremely, extremely talented. All you guys over there at Bad Robot, you know, why rehash something that's already been done in the, in the Trek universe? That was my only complaint about the movie. I hope we don't. And I think we mentioned who do we have on? Somebody from um, I think it was uh, I forget her name from from one of the librarians we had on. And we, we did one of the Star Wars things. We mentioned mm-hmm. that she mentioned it to you actually. That uh, she hopes even that it's not just a rehash of things that we've seen already. Because if it is, what's the point of doing an episode seven? You know, what's funny is when you watch movies like like Thor, right? And you have Asgard. Or you watch um, the intro to Man of Steel, right? And you see Krypton. And those, those environments and worlds are what we're hoping a scale times two is when we get into... Uh, seven, eight, and nine, and not that we haven't seen places, and we're going back to you know other familiar areas, but that grand scale of seeing something new and different and gorgeous like that is what we need. Yeah, you're, and you're scaring me now. I me, mean, this is your universe, but you you sound more like George Lucas now. Well, we can head, get the 3D and uh, do the CG. This, no, I no. didn't say it had to be CG. I said we need that practical, that fantasy sci-fi awe. That's what we need. We can, you need Muppet Yoda. That's what we need, not not the <laughs> digital. <laughs> so, so that's what's going on. That's the big Star Wars news. I'm sure you all heard about that, but we just have thought course. we'd, uh, in case you were busy getting your costumes for tomorrow night, you may and have building missed, your lightsabers. Yeah, you may have missed that little announcement there. So, speaking of big announcements, I have a big announcement to make. No, not that. 
And producer Uh-oh. Angel's going to say, what, you have to go to the bathroom? No, I don't have to go to the bathroom. Maybe in a bit. It's a big cup of water. Ew, okay. What is it? Um, and actually, I'm glad I... Here, let me bring her in. Angel, jump in here. Yeah. You actually are one of the originals who... The very first time I turned the microphone on thousands of years ago when dinosaurs rocked the earth. Yeah. You were one of the originals that was on the air with me. Uh, I want to do... I want to recreate that feeling again. Not for me. Not for you, for Rachel had that feeling a year ago. So did uh, Ariel and 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 everybody that we had on here before. I want to do that for all of you guys because it's a really fun feeling. Trust me, I know. So with that in mind, I said, you know what? And you may have no- all of you guys you may have noticed also we haven't you haven't heard the features in a while. No comics commentary. Mark Doris hasn't done the uh, the the bits and pixels. He hasn't talked video games. He's got he's got a lot to talk about because uh, PS4 is coming out next month in a few weeks. Um, Mark Arnold has a, he has a couple new stories behind the stories, but you haven't heard any of them. Those features are going to expand, like those balloons that you used to get when you were a little <laughs> kid. They're going to expand and become shows, podcasts. But wait, that's not all. Not only are they going to be podcasts, you, not Rachel, not Angel, you guys, the listeners, you guys can be a part of us. Not on the Geek Speak show here, but you can have your own show. You can have your own podcast if you're one of those who are sitting out there who have said, you know what, I could do that. I could talk Star Wars like Rachel. I could probably not, but I could talk Star Wars like <laughs> you Rachel. Could try. Yeah, I, I could talk comics like like everybody uh, like everybody else. I can talk to. I can interview Stan Lee. I would ask him this. Put your money where your mouth is. But here's the best part: you don't have to because it's not going to cost you nothing. All you got to do <laughs> is email us. Wait, what? At thegeekspeakshow.com. If you already have a podcast. Go ahead, send that in and see if, if um, it's uh, geeky enough um, to what we want to do. The main thing is not just the geeky part, but especially the entertaining part. Um, and Because the, there's a lot of podcasts out there that talk about you know the stuff that we talk about. But you guys are not that entertaining. You're very informative, but you're not entertaining. The part of this thing is, yeah, we make you laugh, especially when Joel just opens his mouth. <laughs> throws his comedy. You never know what's going to happen. Yeah, but... True, true. The entertaining part is where you're actually getting information, but you you, you are entertained. You, you can't turn it off because you guys are just that entertaining. That's what we're looking for in this thing. And it can be about anything. It can be about uh, cosplaying. Uh, there, there's an idea. There's a, there aren't that many uh, cosplaying mm-hmm. podcasts out there. It could be about Star Wars. Speaking of, could be or about toys. Star Trek. Could be about yeah, collecting. Could be about uh, comics. Could be about anything. Anything that's uh, in geek culture. We have one Pete pacing Peter does the movies. Actually, he wants to do. He's going to do the movie one, obviously, but he wants to do one about sports. We've tried this before. Rachel said, eh, "I'm not really into I'm sports." I'm falling asleep already. See? No, but <laughs> there are people who believe it or not, they do geek out about sports the same way we do, and they they, they may make the athletes may have made fun of us, but you, you guys do the same thing. You guys dress up when you go to the, these sporting events. You guys wear your jerseys all the time, the same way we wear our Superman T-shirts or Star Wars on our T-shirts or whatever it is. You guys wear a guy's number. You know, it's not your number. It's not your name. Your, your name isn't Peyton Manning. Your name isn't Tom Brady. But you guys wear that. It's the same thing. You guys do the same thing that we do. So you're not that different than we are. So that I say, I'll say, man, maybe we'll give it a try and see, see what it's like. But for the rest of you, like I said, wait what at thegeekspeakshow.com. Let me know. Um, I want to do a podcast and uh, how do I do that? I'll tell you how to do that. Or if you have one already and you want to be a part of the Geek Speak podcast network, then we'll talk about that also. 
So that will launch in January 2014. So that gives us plenty of time. Yeah, like two months to get everything ready <laughs> yeah. and, and launch it in January of 2014. We, you and I did it last year. Shut up, Joel. You and I did it last year. <laughs> we did the uh, the year end Geek Award show. Remember that one? Yes, we did. It was so fun. We're going to do it again. A little bit bigger this time. We're going to incorporate more video into it this time. We have a whole set and everything. And, I'll, and you don't have to travel over here unless you want to and play in our brand new TV set over here. But we'll, we'll film some stuff over you over there and put you into the show also. But we're going to have um, not just the video stuff. We're also going to add more categories this time around. Like I think you think we mentioned in one of the shows not too long ago when I was thinking about it. We're going to add our compatriots, more online shows, best podcasts, right. best YouTube channels, things like that. I, I do have um, some pretty I won't tell you what it is. You guys can go on the website and there will be a special page. There will be a ballot that you guys fill out and you tell us who wins the uh, the year in the Geek Awards. There, there's, I'm only going to have two people this year. Yeah, last year I think we had like four or five nominees, but only two people for the Lifetime Achievement Award. The two big ones, and I, I, I won't say who it is, but I will guarantee it's going to be next to impossible to choose between this guy or the this two. guy. Um, well, don't tell him, don't tell him. You guys have to go to the page and look. Yeah, so uh, I think that's it as far as... Uh, house cleaning is concerned um, except for that little cup there angel get rid of that will you what is that i want it i told you well actually yeah, i leave it there i told you i needed to go to the bathroom speaking of houses Eel, and, yes and toys um so i did a really bad thing and i walked by the lego store yesterday which we all know you, you should not be illegal yeah well i knew i tried not to look i had held my hand up and then of <laughs> course in the window is something amazing and then that was it i was sucked into the tractor beam a life-size death did. star Guess what they have? What? Life-size Death Star? A real Yoda? No, no, no. Wait, something with the fets. Oh, no, but they do have that, but yeah. Okay, that's <laughs> been out a little while. It is an entire Lego set of the whole Ewok village. That is so cute. Oh, a my whole God. whole Ewok village. It's so cute. They have the little nets and like little Ewok Legos, and there's Leia and, and 3PO, and oh, my God. What about Wicked? Yeah. Chief Chirpa? It, yeah. Yeah, it's I know awesome. the Ewoks. It's a whole set, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Something for it's the Christmas. It's amazing, and it's exclusive at the Lego store. Uh. Well, I'm glad you bring that up, actually, because you're going to need something <laughs> warm and cuddly to hide you from what we're about to do. We've been uh, pretty normal about this as we start the show, but the reason why Angel, our producer, is here is because it is our time of the year. That's why Joel's really not here. He's actually hiding under the desk over there. I told you. Eating her candy. You can go ahead and grab your Ewoks <laughs> and hide under some desk or in that closet that's opening up behind you because it's time hey. to start Halloween. the 2013 Halloween show. That's a geek or treat, everybody. Here we go. What is it about this holiday that so fascinates young and old alike? (laughs) Halloween has remained at the heart of our yearly fall celebrations, the last hurrah before the cold of winter sets in. It is the one day of the year in which we can laugh at death. So we take pleasure in the morbid, the creepy, and the terrifying. So put on your costume, turn out the lights, and prepare to be frightened. 
good treats from my feet. Give me something good to eat. This is the 2013 Halloween Geek Speak Show. <laughs> You'll hear from paranormal investigators Jeff Dwyer and Lloyd Auerbach, creators of the Ultra Sylvania comic book, Brian Shermer and Jeremy Saliba, and a few other things that go bump in the night. Geek or treat. Geek or treat indeed. It's Halloween time. <laughs> So let's kick it off the Geek or Treat Halloween 2013 show. You and I were waiting for this yes. since January 1st of this year. So And it's here. Rachel's going to hide for this interview just because that's not the kind of interview she likes. Uh, Jeff Dwyer has been on. It's turned into an annual thing now. It's kind of like when we have David Glanzer on only for Comic-Con and WonderCon. Jeff Dwyer seems to come on when it's uh, that time of the year. So here he is again, a paranormal investigator, a writer, researcher, psychic. You can go to jeffdwyer.com to find out more. But right now, before you go there, listen to him because here he is, Jeff Dwyer, back on the Geek Speak Show. Hey, Jeff. Hey, how are you? Doing great. Getting ready for Halloween and everything. Yep. Yeah, happy Halloween. Not just a day anymore. It's a whole season, you know? Yeah, yeah. for us, it's the whole year. (laughs) Yeah, it should be. Yeah, for some of us, it's all year, but it really picks up. By October 1st, everyone's got the thing going. You know, we're getting revved up for it, buying costumes and planning things. And so uh, the day's here. I'm still waiting for my paranormal experience. Hopefully it will come soon, but I don't want to think about it too much. Uh, So tell us, Jeff, when it was your first paranormal experience? Well, I had my first one that I was really fully aware of when I was about 12 years old growing up in Alameda. Looking out the window of our old Victorian house, I spotted a sailor walking down the street. It looked pretty bizarre because I didn't often see that in that town. And this fellow looked like he was from a different era. He didn't look like the sailors I usually saw around Park Street in Alameda. Uh, This guy looked straight at me and he really didn't have any eyes. It's just uh, darkness there. And as I watched him, he just faded away as he continued walking. And that's when I realized I'd seen a ghost. But looking back beyond that, uh, I think when I was about four or five years old, I had an imaginary friend who I used to hang out with in my backyard. But it was really at 12 years old that I thought for sure I'd seen a ghost. And from then on, I was pretty convinced of the experience. When, cause the last time you were on, or this was actually a few years ago now that you were on, I remember you told you told the story of uh, you were, your sister was with your mom and then you thought you saw her but you but it was actually something else that you that you saw do you remember that story yeah that's brookdale lodge in fact uh, we filmed ghost adventures last year at brookdale lodge and that story made it into the final cut for the show and uh, in fact that episode was aired just uh, just about a week or so ago on travel channel i was at brookdale lodge in the santa cruz mountains down by the creek and uh, felt someone pressing close to me and out of the corner of my eye, it looked like my little sister, who's about three years younger, uh, blonde hair, you know, wearing some a white dress or something like that. And I thought it was her, but just at that moment, my mother yelled at me to get away from the water. And as I looked up at her, my sister was standing next to my mom, about 30 feet away. So I realized that the person pressing close to me was not my sister. As I turned to look, this I barely caught this image to my left. It just faded away. So I believe I saw the ghost of Sarah, 
uh, Logan, who died in the creek there about 1912. And I remember to this day that experience because it was really, really vivid. During that experience, uh, did you feel any weird sensations that might make you feel like, oh, it's not human or it's something else? Not really a weird sensation, but as I said, I just saw this out of the corner of my eye and dismissed it. And then when I turned and saw it fade away, that's when I was pretty stunned by it. Uh, But I didn't have any sensations, logical sensations going over me that sort of led to, you know, it was a prelude to that. And we're talking to Jeff Dwyer. He's a paranormal investigator. He's a writer, researcher, and psychic. Now, those two roles are going to collide, I guess you can put it that way. Writer and psychic. You've mentioned this before every time you come on. Your new book is called Psychic. Use your psychic powers to experience ghosts. What's that all about? Well, this is a book that I've been wanting to write for a long time. And finally, I put together the material for a paranormal conference about a year and a half ago and realized that I had everything I needed to write a book that would instruct people how to increase their psychic abilities. Everybody has some psychic abilities. Some of us are exceptional right from the start, but others not so much, and the skill has to be nurtured, developed, and practiced. And so this book is all about methods of increasing your sensitivities to ghostly things, everything paranormal, in fact. And it uh, takes you through the whole gamut of experiencing ghosts, and imprints and other paranormal phenomenon and using those skills to experience ghosts that may be in your own home or to investigate a crime scene, which I find pretty fascinating too. Yeah, I've, yeah, I've actually heard other people say what you just said also, that, that we, we all are inherently psychic somehow, some, some not as strong as the others. I've had, you know, in my radio travels, I've had a few producers who I thought were psychic. I'm looking at one now just because they can... Hopefully figure out what I'm what I want before I even say it <laughs> but uh, as far as this book goes psychic use your psychic powers to experience ghosts um the way th- reading the title somebody would think we're like oh well so what, we're making it up or what, what, what does that mean exactly you can use using your psychic powers to experience ghosts well we all have some psychic power sometimes it's not really something we would call psychic it's just intuition about things or an ability to read people correctly and understand what's going on, reading body language, or walking into a room and sensing tension or happiness. So we all have abilities like that, but they are really psychic abilities. They're psychological and psychic abilities. And you can enhance those so that you can walk into a room and not only sense the the energy that might be generated by living persons, but you might be able to spot uh, the, the ghost in the room as well or imprint energy from a prior event. So we all have that capability. And this book really helps us to recognize where we're starting and then what methods we could use to enhance sensitivity and receptivity to ghosts who may want to communicate with us. That's really all it is. And then it takes, a, takes you into some practical avenues like crime scene investigation or working as a medium or an empath or something like that. Yeah, and you know, I, don't, I don't want to give out the whole thing away because it's it is in bookstores now and online also on jeffdwyer.com you guys can go to our guest link section it's all on there for you but i will ask you this one thing one more thing about about the uh, the psychic book like angel mentioned a minute ago when, when you when you get that feeling that Sensation. You know, something's somebody's watching you or something like that is that could that be considered a psychic ability 
Yeah, it very likely is, and you're you're feeling the energy of a ghost pressing close to you. Um, that's actually a fairly common experience. A lot of people dismiss it because when you when you look around, there's just nothing there, and so you just shake it off as kind of a weird vibe from a, a place that might be an old house or an old building where a business is established. A lot of people shake that off, but when you want to function as a psychic looking for ghosts, you you have to learn how to sort of pay attention to that. And then once you notice it, how to enhance your, your sensitivity to it. Yeah, consider that a little tease. You know, again, don't want to talk too much. I want to give up with the whole book because it is out in bookstores now. It's also available on your website online. Uh, go to our guest link section. You guys can get it on there. You're also known. We've talked about it before. The Ghost Hunter series. You sent me last year the uh, the second edition of the San Francisco one. Thank you for that. Um, a lot of I mentioned it last year. A lot of construction. A lot of things going on here on uh, in the city. Has that? Um, are there any new locations that weren't have you haven't included in the book, or whether in San Francisco or in the Bay Area, that you've heard about? Uh, well, I've been focusing on Portland for the last uh, eight or ten months, so I haven't gotten into San Francisco to pick up on some new spots. But I do go down there often and return to some favorite spots, like the Neptune Columbarium, and um, there there are some things I've looked into. Um, in the past year and a half or so. One of them is the Embarcadero area, and I can't speak too specifically about these locations because of the confidentiality, which um, which I want to uphold for my clients. But there are places around the Embarcadero, the older parts of San Francisco waterfront that have become paranormally active in the last five years or so, and even in very new buildings down there. There's some new buildings that are on places where there might be um, former cemeteries, for instance. And there's a lot of activity going on down in the Embarcadero. So if people want to go through San Francisco and look for a hot spot, I would say just wander around down there and see what kind of a vibe you pick up on. It's funny you say that because I remember when I was younger, I used to ride my bicycle everywhere. I used to ride it right around that area there where now is the, uh, what's it called? The, the giant stadium, the AT&T Park? AT&T Park, yeah. Yeah, I used to ride around before. Obviously, there was no stadium or anything. And number one, it was, it was already empty as it was, and it looked kind of spooky. But I always got, again, that feeling that, Weird I don't know, it's just something felt weird. Kind of the same feeling I get you get when you drive through the Presidio. I mean, that that's another haunted area, and you mentioned it in the uh, in, in, in the books. You get you get that feeling, but around the Embarcadero area, I do, you know, it's, it, I'm not shocked to hear you say that because I've, 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 I've felt that myself sometimes. I haven't seen anything, but I've felt something going through there. Yeah, there's a lot of this, and San Francisco, I think, is one of the most haunted cities in America. You know, wow. People often ask me, which is, what is the most haunted city? And they expect me to say New Orleans, for instance. And New Orleans certainly is a very haunted place, but uh, despite my own obvious bias, I really think San Francisco and the San Francisco Bay Area is probably the hottest location for paranormal investigation in the United States right now. Yeah. Um, so, so again, we're talking to Jeff Dwyer. He's a paranormal investigator. He's a writer, researcher, psychic. JeffDwyer.com. You guys can go to our guest link section. It's all on there for you. His new book, Psychic, Use Your Psychic Powers to Experience Ghosts, available in bookstores, online, and also on Jeff's website. Uh, now, we, you know, th- this is, uh, what is it called? Devil's Night, hours before Halloween. Yeah. What, what are you going to be doing for, for Halloween? Well, um, I've got a lot of radio spots to do, which is a lot of fun to do. 
But I'm going to have people over at my house, and uh, we're setting up quite a big uh, display on our front lawn. We have a lot of uh, my children's friends over for that. To me, it's not a night when I continue my paranormal investigation. It's a fun night because uh, most of the year is, is sort of Halloween for me. I go off looking for ghosts year-round. So it's not, not a night when I would focus on finding ghosts. There's just too much going on around the neighborhood. Uh, even the ghosts in our house, and we have two of them, are pretty quiet on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, my my two little ghosts are pretty quiet on that night, too. <laughs> Speaking of, you you mentioned the paranormal investigation. That is also a service that you provide. It's on, it's on your website also. Mm-hmm. Uh, t- talk about that. If somebody thinks that they have something in their house and they'd like, like to have you or someone come in and investigate, um, how can they yeah. get a hold of you and all of that? The easiest way is to just go to my website, www.jeffdwyer.com, and then use the Contact Us page to send an email to me. And very often the investigation uh, is something, you know, I'll go out and, and visit. I'll go out and, and look at the site. But sometimes it's just consultation. You know, I get calls from people all over the country or emails from people all over the country. And they say, well, this is going on in my house, and uh, I'll I'll." pose a few questions like the history of the house and that sort of thing, get some witness reports, and then offer some suggestions as to how they might investigate it on their own. And if they can't do that, I'll connect them up with a local paranormal group. But if it's somewhere out this way in California, Portland, uh, Oregon, Seattle, that area, uh, I'll make a trip and I'll investigate and try to find out what's, what the problem is. Yeah, and it is a good idea to you know do a little bit of research on your own before they contact you. Like you know, it could be just pipes knocking or, or, or you know, yeah, the house settling. Um, what are some definite telltale signs that yeah, it's time to call somebody in? Well, if you start to see, if if you're if you're seeing things like doors moving inside your home where previously they've not moved, uh, that's a pretty good indication and. Uh, and generally, the doors should move in both directions. If it moves only in one direction, it might be that the house has settled. But if it moves, if a door opens and then closes again, that's a pretty good indication of something paranormal. And you can leave little uh, enticements out, uh, trigger objects, too, if you think you've got something going on in your house. You can leave uh, two stacks of 10 pennies each out on a table at night, some sturdy surface. And if you come downstairs in the morning or visit this area in the morning and you see these one stack of pennies knocked over and scattered but the other still standing, that may be an indication of something paranormal. If both stacks of pennies are scattered, then it might be just a gust of wind or house settling or something like that. So I use two stacks because one can serve as a control. Some people I know have left out decks of cards with four aces on top and then found the cards shuffled with the the aces shuffled to the deck in the morning, something like that. Or you can even leave a tape recorder running all night long or, or a digital audio recorder because many of those will run for 24 hours straight. And you can just see what you pick up. Yeah, get some EVPs, spooky or not. Mm-hmm. You might get EVP. Yeah. Uh, and you mentioned your, your, the new book, Psychic Use Your Psychic Powers to Experience Ghosts. I know that one's out now. Are you working on anything new that you can talk about? Well, I'm working on another book in the Ghost Hunter series uh, for Portland, Oregon. There are now eight books in the Ghost Hunter series, and I, I figure it's time to go up and finish the Portland book, which I've been working on for quite a long time. So I hope that'll be out 
by September of next year because the, the, my publisher requires a lot of lead time. And Portland's a great city, you know. It's got a lot of history up there. And uh, much like San Francisco, there are layers of history. It has an underground uh, city, much like Portland does. And so there's a lot to investigate up there. So is it going to focus just on Portland or, or more than that? Uh, it's, uh, it's primarily Portland with some with a chapter about coastal cities and also a chapter about locations uh, south of Portland on I-5 because there's quite a lot going on in some of the towns south of Portland as well. And once I finish that, I'm going to move down south and start working on Santa Fe, New Mexico, which has been a favorite destination of mine for many, many years. Okay, so definitely more Ghost Hunters uh, books to look forward to. So again, it's Jeff Dwyer, paranormal investigator. He's a writer, researcher, psychic. JeffDwyer.com for more information. Go to our guest links. Just click on the little logo and it will take you all there. Jeff, thanks a lot for coming back. You know, you're always welcome here. Halloween or not, we got to do this more often, not just on Halloween. And I will wish you a happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, and thanks a lot for uh, calling me up today. All right, so going on with the Halloween show, Rachel, you can come back out. It's okay. Oh, my God. I just had to go to care of something, okay? Sure, that's what we call it. So on again is another the real thing, not he doesn't uh, just play one on the radio. He's, the, he's an actual parapsychologist. He's also director of the Office of Paranormal Investigations, president of the Forever Family Foundation, and a professional chocolatier. We'll get into that towards the end of the interview. Oh. Lloyd Auerbach joins us now on the Geek Speak Show. Hi, Lloyd. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. How are you doing? Doing doing great. Thanks for coming on. So uh, the first thing I, w- I want to talk to you uh, about is what I ask most every, every people that comes on on Halloween, and that is uh, when and what was your first paranormal experience? Well, uh, you know, I haven't had a whole lot, um, but because that's not what got me into the field. But uh, probably the first experiences I even had were just knowing who was on the phone when the phone would ring back when I was a kid. Um, otherwise, when it comes to the ghostly stuff, my first case, which was when I entered graduate school, I kind of felt something in the house that we were investigating. That was back in, in 1979. Yeah, so, so you've been doing this for a while, obviously. So, so how, in your opinion, how is, how is our society's view of you know, stuff like paranormals, psych, psychic abilities, how has it changed in, the, say, the last 10 years? Well, I think the, the general public, um, ones who don't watch those paranormal shows, have pretty much not changed their opinions. They, uh, many people believe in this stuff. They have experiences they, don't, they typically still don't talk about with their friends. Uh, but people who are aware of the shows or watch the shows have a, 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 frankly, somewhat skewed idea of what the experiences actually are. Uh, the reality shows, which are I like to call unreality shows, unfortunately don't <laughs> portray... Yeah, you the and act- me both. The real thing. I know. Yeah, they don't, they don't portray how, we, how one does an investigation for real, even though they may be how the ghost hunters are all out there doing them now because they're following what they see on TV, which is kind of silly. Um, but they also don't necessarily portray the phenomena or people's experiences properly. So what needs to change and um, what can change? Well, I, I don't, what needs to change is there needs to be actually some shows on the air that really talk to people and don't edit for particular points of view. Uh, let people talk about their experiences, uh, and then if you're going to do any reenactments of them to actually truly reenact them properly, they need to talk to researchers like myself, uh, whether it's me or my colleagues, and find out from us how to best portray an investigation on, on the air and 
and forget about this whole being in the dark thing. I mean, that's a really spooky thing, but that's not how, how scientists actually do investigations anyway. Uh, so they, they really need to focus on the ghost story, what people are reporting, and what the witnesses see, and then how we actually go in and find normal explanations, and how we find paranormal explanations. So, Lloyd, are you still working on that show um, that you couldn't get in the U.S.? Is it moving somewhere, or what's the process, or how's that going? Well, um, the process right now is kind of, there's a couple of shows that I'm working on right now. Um, they're a little stalled right now, but I understand there is some interest. Uh, we had some interest from outside the U.S., and then it turned out that they wanted us to turn our show in pretty much what they, you know, what, what the rest of the shows are. So we're still shopping around and trying to find um, people who are really willing to show things appropriately, you know, and not just basically make us over into an, another one of the, the reality shows that are there. Yeah, that's something that I noticed as well. And I'm I'm really interested in the paranormal um, side. And I haven't had an experience, unfortunately, like Henry or Rachel. What do you say to someone who wants to have their first paranormal experience? Like what should what advice would you give them? And how do they go about it? Well, first of all, a paranormal experience is not just a ghostly experience. That's the thing. It's that psychic experiences in general. Um, people who want to have an experience and feel something, go to places with history because you will often kind of pick up on historical things that happen. And they don't have to be haunted places. Places with history, people who are sensitive to this sort of thing actually sometimes have experiences, not necessarily seeing a ghost, but feeling what it was like or kind of even in your mind's eye getting a, an image of what happened there. Um, the idea of going to these haunted places and hoping that you're going to catch a ghost, you know, it's, if there really is a ghost there, it's totally dependent on whether the ghost decides he or she wants to connect with you at all. Yeah, it's a, it's more of a... I think we mentioned this in the uh, the last interview we had just a minute ago. When you get the uh, the, the heebie-jeebies, sometimes some people call it, mm-hmm. or, or I get a f- bad feeling about this, that, that that's, that's kind of the experience you're talking about, right? That's, there's quite a bit of that. Um, sometimes you can go to a historical place, and I, this is something that I've experienced myself as a, uh, a kid also, is being in places and kind of getting a good or a bad feeling that makes you want to figure out what the actual history was, you know, to what actually happened here in a given place uh, at a given time. And it may be that you're bad feeling, maybe you feel sick, or maybe you feel really ecstatic like there was a party there recently or something like that, and you can kind of check those things out. The historical um, I, places have happened to me, too, uh, when, yeah, when I, I mean, was in Europe, especially. It, it certainly happens to people all the time. I, one of my experiences in college, actually, was being in a, a new hotel restaurant, and one spot in the restaurant, for whatever reason, felt really, really bad. I mean, it just felt bad. And so I, I decided it was in my area, actually not far from Sleepy Hollow, as it happens, in New York, and I decided to go check the historical society and found that there had been a, a bunch of... Um, Native American scouts for the Continental Army who've been massacred by the British on that spot. We're talking to Lloyd Arbach. He's the author of Parapsychologist. All this information is up on our guest link section. You guys are going to go to directly. Mindreader.com is his website. Some of the websites we'll talk about in just a second. Um, Rachel, actually, you, you yeah, had a few questions. I, I had, go ahead, jump I had a in. question. So what you're saying as far as pl- things that have happened in certain places or, or areas of, of rooms or buildings that you're in um, is totally what has happened to me. So I agree with that 100%. Um, and I know that I've talked to people um, like Angel that are, you know, trying to make something happen or that want to be a part of some kind of experience like this. Um, and a lot of them think that using a Ouija board or something like that can can act as a portal or, or open something. Have you seen that in your experience? 
No, I mean, it's really your intention. Uh, Ouija boards don't really have any power to them whatsoever. They connect with your unconscious mind. It's the intention you put in your unconscious mind to make those connections that if anything was going to happen, it has, has to do with that. So it's really about going in, first of all, going in with an open mind, going in friendly. I mean, if there really is a ghost there, that you don't want to walk in like you see on these shows and start, you know, yelling at them because if anything, they're going to either move away or they're going to simply yell back at you. So that's not a good right. way to go. We've had more, honestly, we've had more phenomena happen in our investigations and in our TV show, the TV pieces that I've done, things have happened because we've gone in, even with a, a little bit of a, a smirk on our face, a little bit of fun behind it. Um, I like to think that sometimes I become the Bill Murray character, Peter Venkman from Ghostbusters. <laughs> and if you bring in humor, um, and, and it, first of all, it brings the fear down for people. And I'm not talking about making fun of the phenomenon. I'm talking about being a little lighthearted about this. Like you want to be friendly and you want to have a good time. That seems to bring out the phenomena, regardless of what kind of phenomena it is. So I, I know that in, in my experience and friends that I've talked to or, or people we've talked to on the show before about stuff like this, um, there's always two sides of the coin. If there's paranormal activity or strange things happening or whatever, people either get freaked out and immediately you know, resort to whatever faith that they are to try to get out of that situation or eliminate some of that negative experience. Um, but what about the people that don't have you know, a particular strong faith? What do you suggest for them? I, I didn't catch it. Like people who don't have a particularly strong faith or belief in something that would help them, oh. you know, eliminate something like that. Well, you know, the elimination factor really is about uh, what what type of phenomena is actually happening. Whether we have an actual entity there, in which case you try to communicate if you accept that they're actually there, um, or if it's the haunting or imprint. It's kind of the more historical stuff. In which case, there's a lot of different ways you can do it: get rid of it, or just mitigate it or change it, including playing some really fun music and having parties. In the working with people who don't believe, um, if they finally come to the realization that there really is something happening, uh, it depends, again, whether they are afraid or they're unafraid, how we actually have to work with them. But it comes down to educating them as to what the phenomena actually is, what it could be, um, and the fact that it really have, hasn't really ever hurt anybody, uh, unless, of course, you hurt yourself because of your right. reaction. So, Lloyd, uh, I've just thought of something. As you were explaining uh, exactly what uh, the paranormal phenomenon is, it's not just ghosts or poltergeists and whatnot. Um, so I didn't mention this with Her Henry, <laughs> but sometimes I would walk in a room. I don't know any of the people, and my energy just, like, drops. All of a sudden, I'm sad, and I can't explain it. But I I've been very sensitive like that. Uh, if you're a person that has or carries a lot of negative energy, whether it's from yourself or other people, can you be a magnet for entities? Why are you looking entities? at me when you say that? Just looking. <laughs> but it's not necessarily about being a magnet, but what will happen is um, you'll experience other people's, sometimes other people's emotions, and even the emotions of the, of the room, I guess you could say. So things that are impregnated there. So there, there are different techniques you can use uh, to kind of screen it out for yourself. That's one of the things I teach people in some of my classes. And, um, you know, there, there are people who are magnets for the phenomena, not because they're sad or upset, unless there's a bunch of ghosts who want to help you. <laughs> that's usually what the only thing that comes out. <laughs> that's um, interesting. People who are magnets for this or people who are truly interested in the phenomena, seems to, or medium psychics tend to be real magnets, because uh, it's almost uh, like in the movie Ghost Town. As soon as people, uh, dead people find out that you can see them or communicate with them, they suddenly flock to you. So. Yeah, let's see what happens. 
Yeah, we're talking to Lloyd Arbach. He's an author. He got a lot of books. They're all up on uh, mindreader.com. It's up on our guesting section. A lot of links to, to a lot of his websites and some appearances that he's gonna that he's gonna have. One of them that I really want to get to now, just so Rachel doesn't get scared or anything. You also your bio also says you're a professional chocolatier. When I read that, I said, you know, what? I'm in the wrong profession because I, I love chocolate myself. Talk about being a professional chocolatier. Sure. Um, I uh, I started working on a book a few years ago about chocolate just because I'm really interested in food in general, but specifically chocolate. And uh, one of the chocolate makers I spoke to, Joseph Schmidt, a well-known chocolatier, um, told me that to really learn how to really write this book, I had to learn how to be a a chocolatier. So I I took a professional certificate course in this and earned my certificate as a professional chocolatier. And I produce um, chocolates myself on a very limited basis, kind of artisan chocolates, on my website, hauntedbychocolate.com. And I also do chocolate tasting events. So I actually do presentations on, cho- on tasting chocolate, kind of like wine tasting, but with chocolate. Oh, that's a good idea. Angel, pass me a napkin. My mouth I know, I'm, is, I'm drooling, drooling, I'm drooling too. We're having uh, a flood in here. Just, just out of curiosity, when, when you take the, uh, the, the class to be a professional chocolatier, what, exact, what, do, what do you learn exactly? Um, everything from uh, tempering chocolate so it, it sets properly to uh, blending chocolates to res- how to build your own recipes, uh, the equipment that you need to use. You have to learn how to use all this equipment. Um, you have to learn, you know, and there's not a lot that for basic stuff. You don't really need a lot of equipment, but it kind of ranges from sourcing if you want to source the beans yourself, which I don't do, uh, straight up to how to best decorate and uh, produce things that look nice as well as taste great. Again, you can find everything out on hauntedbychocolate.com, also up on our guest link section if you guys want to find out all about that. I'm sure you do, like, if you're a chocolate lover like we are here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also mentioned you, you You guys can see see and hear Lloyd. He's on He's on radio, on podcasts, on TV, uh, not just on Halloween, all throughout the year. Uh, where can we see you next? What appearances do you have coming up? Um, well, actually, the next big appearance I've got is the Forever Family Foundation's annual conference in San Diego, which is happening the... Um, uh, 9th and 10th of November, uh, and people can find out about it going to the annual conference page from foreverfamilyfoundation.org. It's a conference, or annual conference on the afterlife, and features several scientists talking about research as well as several mediums. Oh. And, and I do have a link up for that up on our guest link section. Also, you guys can find out more information on that. So, Lloyd, thanks a lot for coming on. You know, you're always welcome here. Like I said, Halloween or not, it'd be, uh, I'd love to talk to you even more, but you know, we got to ton of guests to talk to so thanks for taking a few minutes and and talking to us and like i said you're welcome back anytime thanks very much so that was lloyd auerbach he's again like jeff dwyer the real thing he doesn't just play a ghostbuster on tv although he i know you can tell yeah he he did eventually he did i did like the fact that he gave it gave us a, a ghostbuster reference there i know i think that was for us but we'll take it he came he saw he talked about ghosts you didn't think I was going to go there, did you? So let's continue on with the Halloween stuff. Really cool comic. You guys sent it to me. Thank you for that. Um, Ultra Sylvania. That's good. Brian Shermer. <laughs> got the first time. Jeremy Saliba. Creators hey. are on here in the studio here with us. Welcome, guys. Hey, thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Uh, so I was going to talk about it because I, I, I enjoyed it a lot. But since you're here, it's your baby. Go ahead and tell everybody what it's all about. I'll start. Yeah. Okay. Uh, basically, Ultra Sylvania... Uh, takes the classic movie monsters like Dracula and Frankenstein and recasts them as world leaders in 19th century Europe. Kind of an alternate history. Um, what would have happened if they had been real and 
had uh, had a Wait, thirst for power. You mean they're not real? <laughs> <laughs> well, not as popular as they are in our book, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and when when it was mentioned to me by you know friend friend of the show, also he 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 gave me the premise. He gave me you know the the, the elevator pitch, and the second he said that. You know, Dracula and Frankenstein's monster, their world. They said, wait, stop. Sold. Okay. Uh, I got to talk to these guys. Um, so, so where, where did, where, where did that, who, who came up with the idea? Where, where, where'd all that come from? That was Brian. Uh, yeah, I was actually, I was traveling in Europe in 2011. And as any good writer, I had a little journal with me and I would keep notes of just various ideas that would pop into my head. And one of them was something along the lines of, what if Dracula had been a world leader instead of, you know, just hiding in the darkness and sucking people's blood and such? Uh, and I didn't really give it too much thought after that. Just sort of, uh, it was one of various ideas. Um, and then I think I came, I came back from Europe, and it just sort of bubbled to the surface. That and uh, we were kind of thinking about ways to move forward with it, and uh, you know how to actually make it a reality. And one of our good friends um, suggested uh, making a class at the academy out of it um, to not only you know create this vision, of this book, but use it as a tool to give uh, select members of the student body uh, uh, industry exposure. Yeah, that that good friend actually is the one that told me about you guys. Ah, uh, yes, which is always an right awesome thing. Nice. <laughs> Yeah. I actually got to be a part of something like that at the Academy as well. Oh, really? Um, yes. And, and I noticed um, that the art that you guys have used to make up um, this story is a few different styles, um, changing from era to era. Was that planned or was that because we switched out artists? That, that both. Uh, we knew that um, a book of this size um, was going to need a, a lot of work. And uh, so w- with the premise of this class and, and, and the format that it would have to be in, in terms of a 15-week semester and, mm-hmm. and everything else, all the constraints that provided, that we knew that we would basically be giving a section of each, uh, a section of the book to each student uh, in the class. Um, and, that was, and then Brian's outset at that point was to write it in a way that that flowed as naturally as possible, that you know, each artist would have a specific section that maybe took place in a specific era or a specific place or from a specific character's point of view. I really like that. I think that's an awesome way, not only to utilize the tools that you guys are given, of course, but just as far as storytelling. I think that's awesome. So was was actually, was that was that the plan from the beginning or is that just as the styles came out, I was like, hey, that actually, it works. It was the plan from the beginning. Yeah. Um, yeah, basically, as soon as we knew, as soon as we got the thumbs up from the Academy that we were going to be able to put this class together and handpick artists and do this thing, um, I had a I had a pretty solid outline for the story at that point. And then when it was time to sit down and actually write the script... I was able to sit down and realize, okay, I need to write it in in chunks, you know, either that are either set in a certain time or a certain location because I'm know I know ahead of time I'm going to give this to one particular artist. I know I'm going to give this next section to another. Um, yeah, again with a mindset that it, it flow as 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 well as possible. Yeah, you guys sent me the the first two volumes. Volume three is uh, in progress. We'll see. You have you guys have the Kickstarter? I think it's a couple days, three days to go. Uh, yeah, well, right. just over forty eight hours at the. Yeah, yeah. Let's, so, go ahead. What, what's what's the progress on that? Very good. Uh, it's it has been funded. Uh, we have met our goal. We're we're past it now. Um, our goal was seventy five hundred, and we're at almost uh, ten thousand five hundred. Yeah, right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very exciting. Uh, it got funded in the first week. Um, so uh, that was that was uh, the humbling and and very exciting for us. Uh, so yeah, that that Kickstarter will be ending uh, at the end of the week, and we're gonna have a party uh, at Mission Comics. You should come. <laughs> Another friend of the show. Oh, yeah. I love Mission Comics. Yay, Leaf. Yeah, I was going to say Leaf. <laughs> so I wanted to go back to the, the class work actually for a second, if you guys mm-hmm. don't mind. Sure. Um, what did the students learn 
that will help them um, as they get ready to become professional artists. They learned uh, basically a production environment, you know, uh, deadlines, critiques, feedbacks, um, all that, that structure that's been set up and put in place uh, uh, in our classroom is what they would can expect to find out when they, when they start working in the real world. Um, and uh, beyond that, um, we also just dug into the nuts and bolts of comic making. You know, some of them, the different students had some various levels of experience. Some of them were more comics oriented. Some of them were more illustration and concept art related. Mm -hmm. And so we got to get into, you know, the basics, like crossing the line in terms of a, a scene and, and placing the camera or panel layouts and how to move the eye through a whole page of panel layouts as opposed to just doing big splash pages every time. And just the, the finer nuances of that kind of stuff was another aspect that we really got to dig into. Are you guys going to continue with this one, or do you have plans to add another type of project? Um, this is slated to be the the last one uh, okay. at, at the moment. Uh, we, uh, the only spoiler I'll say is we don't kill everybody off, so if we want to go back, we can. Spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, at the moment, we're, we're working on a, a few other projects and pitches uh, right now that are a little beyond uh, what we'd been doing with Ultrasylvania. Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll get back to Ultra Slovenia in a little bit, but I want to I want to stick to that. We we we've, we've done a couple of shows like like that. Um, I call it Tomorrow Stars Today, where we talk to students, teachers at, at the uh, the Academy of Art and the Nolman School, Dave School, things like that. Sure. You guys are there, Ground Zero, if you will. You think it it, it, it they, the students learn more going to the specialized schools, or, or do they get a better education going to like say, a community college or a state university? It can it can it can vary depending on the school I think sure, um, but at the same time I think uh, at least with the, with regard to the academy they have the they have a lot of latitude insofar as creating classes like this that we did which I don't know that a state school or a, a community college is going to be able to do in such uh, a, a fluid manner I mean we basically we went to Chuck Pyle who's the director of their school of illustration. Um, almost immediately after we, we kind of decided, yeah, this might be a cool thing to do, uh, and sat down with him for maybe an hour, and he had some very pointed questions about what we were going to do and, and how we were going to do it. And uh, by the end of that meeting, we had the thumbs up, and we were ready to go. There was no real big bureaucracy that we had to go through or anything. Yeah, I think I've been to the community college for art, and then I've also you know been to academy or, or you know places like that. And I think that being able to create classes like this, but being able to give people a setting of what it's going to really be like, either in working with a team or working by yourself as an artist, like you're talking about for these different eras. Um, it's a totally different experience when you have more resources or more connections with a place like the academy um, than where you're in a community college or state college where they're kind of locked down to, you know, art isn't one of the things that they're known for, and so they don't give it as much attention. I would agree. I followed a similar course where I took, I started my art schooling at a community college and then ended up going to the academy and graduating there. And I would say some of the, you know, uh, state or community colleges are great for getting started in your foundation work. You know, I took basic charcoal drawing classes and, and mm -hmm. figure drawing classes from the models and all that kind of stuff, which is great, you know, to get started. And then once you start getting further along in your student career, you're right. Exactly what you said. You're going to want to start having a place that's a little bit more plugged in, a little more reflective of the industry. Right. Now, let me get personal with you guys for a second. How much is in your in your wallet? No, <laughs> we know obviously what the students get out of this. And Jeremy, you mentioned it a second ago. What do you guys get from working with the students on projects like Ultrasylvania? Well, when when we met with Chuck again, the the, the director at the school, we basically said, 
you know, one, one of his questions was, so what's going to happen with all the money, that the millions of dollars that come pouring in from this? And we had to sit him down and say, well, okay, Chuck, here's the reality of comics. Uh, uh, and we said, you know, we're doing this, let's do this as a promotional tool for everyone. This is going to be something that the students are going to have, that, that if, if everything goes well, you know, we'll finish the book, we'll put it online for free on, as a webcomic, we'll, we'll do a Kickstarter, hopefully we make some money, we get it on Amazon, and then they've got a published credit. Um, there's no great you know there's no great pot of gold at the end of, of the rainbow for this if there is great everybody wins we share we're happy but otherwise it's you know we're getting our names out there the students are getting their names out there the school gets a little promotion out of it too and they've seen an influx of of comics students uh over the course of the last year as well right which you know chuck likes to say congratulate us for but i i, I like to think that they're doing more things than that it's 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 run i you know, in, in a way that all, all the money that that's getting put into it via Kickstarter and everything all has a designation at this point. You know, we have, yeah. in terms of the stretch goals that we're offering right now, where if you put in, you know, if, if we raise more money, we'll give more back to the backers at this point. You know, we'll give them more stuff. And that's tend to be, that, that tends to be how we budget the whole thing, not how much more money can we get, but like, okay, if we get to this much money, what can we give them? If we have that much extra money uh, as a result of this Kickstarter, beyond that, you know, anything else just goes into getting tables at conventions and and all the promotional costs that, that go into it. That's pretty much, uh, I think, a big part of of how it all gets allocated. And we're out there, you know, slinging slinging the name out there on, on Twitter, on Facebook, on our own websites, so that you know, I go to conventions and I I mention Ultrasylvania to some people, and they'll go, "Oh yeah, I've I've heard of that." And that's that's actually one of the most gratifying things that I've had either just meeting fellow geeks at a, at a convention and having them turn and say, Oh, I saw your video. I remember seeing your video on Kickstarter <laughs> or, or, you know, uh, I don't know, meeting Greg Rucka or someone and saying, Oh, Hey, I, I'm the guy who did this. And he says, Oh yeah, I love that. And blah, 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 blah. And, and not just, you know, blowing smoke up my behind, but basically being able to cite specific things, uh, about the story and, and realizing, yeah, okay, well, this is connecting yeah, with people. When you know they actually read it. Right, right. <laughs> that's yeah, pretty it, funny because that that's exactly what happened uh, with me and Henry, actually, for the show. is yeah. um, I worked on a project just like this at the school, um, and it was a motion comic. Uh, yes. I think one of the first ones that the school actually allowed to kind of go through. Mm -hmm. And then we were at WonderCon, and Henry came by to interview us, and lo and behold, now here I am. So it's kind of cool how things happen like that. Yeah. So Brian and Jeremy, what you're saying is our new our new hosts. <laughs> <laughs> and, because we don't have enough to do, right, Jeremy? That's right. Move over. <laughs> yeah. Um, you guys mentioned it a little bit. Uh, is there any other project you guys are working on your own and not not part of the academy that you guys can can and want to talk about? Well, we together uh, the projects we have are kind of still cooking. Um, they're still in the oven, so we don't want to bring them out just yet i don't think right yeah no, no. um we, like i said we're, we're developing some pitches that we hope to send out by january at this point and then we'll see what happens with that yeah so again ultra sylvania 48 hours to go like you said on the kickstarter so tell everybody who's listening right now why they should give it one last push if they haven't already it's cool <laughs> <laughs> um Jeez, uh, if nothing else, I mean, if you like if you like alternate history, if you like movie monsters, it's Halloween, boys and girls. It's time to get out there and get yourself an indie comic that's got some scary stuff in it and some cool things and some stuff you've never seen before with some new up-and-coming talents. And, right, uh, you get to support 
you know, uh, the arts. You get to support uh, students who are putting their heart and soul into uh, a lot of uh, amazing work, and this will get it out there. This and it does. And, and and I and one of the things I also love is showing people pages from the book, and they're just blown away, and they look at me and they say, "These are artists." I mean, these are students, and I say, "Yeah, <laughs> yeah." I mean, these. The, 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 I'm telling you, some of these guys are better than the stuff that I pick up in the store for three ninety nine. That is true. Yeah, and, and you know, actually, you're, you're dead on with that. That's one of the reasons that you, you guys have done Ape. That's one of the reasons why I like doing Ape, because, one, you can hear, you can see the passion in, in, in every table that you go to. It's not yeah. just, you know, you know, Marvel or DC. It's like, oh, yeah, this is our thing for, for this year. Mm-hmm. But also, and I say it on the show all the time before we go and cover Ape, you when we had events with Stan Lee over here, Jim Lee, and he obviously needs got to shut down the the blocks because it's all the lines are there but same reaction you have to jim lee and all the all today's artists and and brian michael bennis all all these guys you might be seeing the next jim lee meeting seeing him here with ultra sylvania or at ape or that so get in on the ground floor because you can say cliche as it sounds you can say i knew him when i helped him out with you know Mm -hmm. this this project so that's another reason why i think projects like this are really really cool to get on in on the ground floor on so again, it's it's a Jeremy and Brian. The, it's a Ultra Sylvania. Uh, I think thanks again, you guys, for the the, the two volumes. I, I loved it. I'll 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 probably give a, a little bit, okay, a lot to to uh, to the Kickstarter, <laughs> All right. and because I want to see volume three. And if you guys are going to do something with Lee for Mission Comics, let me know. We'll be there. We'll put the cameras on you and uh, celebrate with you guys and take our listeners uh, virtually there. Awesome. Also, so so thanks a lot for coming in. Uh, have a happy Halloween. Nothing but success on Ultrasylvania. Thank you. Anything else you guys you guys do? Thank you so much. Yeah, big thank you. All right, so again, Ultrasylvania, you guys can go on the website. It's up on our guest link section. You can check it out. 48 hours to go on the Kickstarter. Get behind it. You will not regret it. So, to finish up the Halloween stuff, oh. we asked all you guys to send us some uh, some of your experiences, real experiences. Don't make it up. Some real experiences. I could tell. And like always... You sent us a whole bunch. A lot of them were, and I was telling Rachel right, right before, a lot of them were kind of Star Warsian, as in uh, I had a bad feeling about that. That's not a paranormal experience. I mean, everybody <laughs> gets that all the time. It's probably in addition or something. Yeah. So I picked out a few emails there. Don't read their emails because they want to keep that private. But let me right, have right. you read a few of them and, and, and uh, share some of our listeners. Going to get interesting. You ready, Rachel? Okay. 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 So, what are you doing under the table, Rachel? She's still, her ears are still open. She's okay. So the first one is from Catherine. She says, hello, everyone. I'd like to share a strange experience I had in my summer vacation with my boyfriend. In the middle of the night, as I was tossing and turning in our bed at a moment when I had my back against my boyfriend, I opened my eyes and I saw my boyfriend standing right next to the bed staring at me. He wasn't doing anything. He was just standing still looking at me. He didn't say anything when he saw that I saw him, but he kept staring. This lasted more than five seconds. He really gave me the creeps. I was so afraid and also so surprised because I didn't hear him getting off the bed and walking. So I asked him, what are you doing? with a very frightened voice. He didn't answer nor move, and then I realized that he was actually sleeping in the bed next to me. Well, he should be. And the creepy boyfriend was gone. Can someone explain what happened that night? Sounds like a paranormal activity part one moment. From Emma. My experience is when I was eight years old in February 1997. I lost my grandma, who I extremely was close to. I was at her house every weekend in school holidays 
and it was the anniversary of my grandma's death and I was awoken in the middle of the night and there at the end of my bed was a silhouette of her praying. This has always brought me great comfort to me knowing she is watching over me. Then at the age of 15, I lost my grandpa. And every year on his anniversary, there is always a white little feather left in my house. I have no explanation on where it could come from, but my auntie went to the grave and found one there. So I think it's him letting me know that he's still here with us. And it was a very comforting thought. Uh, It's from Rob. Rob. Uh, this story isn't like a ghost or a figure that crossed the corner of my eye. This was a person and this person is my father. Why is that scary? I, I was seven and eight years old, maybe a little younger. My father was a heavy drinker and spent most of his time at other people's houses. Uh, this night he came home early. I don't know if he had forgot his wallet or whatever, but he wanted to leave again. My mother, brothers and I wanted him to stay home and he agreed he would stay. About a minute later, he runs out the back door and he, we ran after him. So we are running. We had seen that he ran behind a building. One of my brothers decided to follow him and told my brother and I to go towards the other side of the house to catch him when he came out. So as we were reaching the other side of the building, he comes running out looking at us with a big smile, but his eyes were glowing a bright yellow. My brother and I had seen it and stopped dead in our tracks. We then ran back home and told our mom what we had seen. I'm 28 now and my brother's 29. All this time I thought maybe it was all something that my mind created. I mean, I was a kid. Kids make things up. But I will never forget that night. I gained the courage to ask my brother if he had remembered anything or if it was just me. I know it's not something I made up. We both remember what we saw. Does anyone know what this could be? I tried to do some research, but couldn't find anything other than supernatural episodes. Any information would be helpful. Thank you. This one is from Angel. Currently, um, I'm a teenager, but over the years, I've had numerous paranormal and psychic experiences. Most usually happen to me, my brother, and my mother. First of all, I'll start with my small experiences I've had with the paranormal. These experiences have been getting more frequent since this past year. To begin with, I've always loved to take photos, and once while I was exploring, I was amazed by a plant. It was completely different from others. So then I decided to take a picture of it, and in the picture, it shows a dark shadow of a skull. That just seemed so odd. Later on, as the months passed by, nothing happened to me. Until months later, I started having nightmares. All the nightmares were either about a dark-haired little girl and a mob always chasing me. I had these nightmares for about two weeks straight, Finally, when I woke up from another nightmare, I was frozen, and then I glanced towards the right of my bed, and there stood a small little girl about eight years old. (laughs) I didn't panic at all. I'm panicking, at which surprised my mother completely. Later on, I resumed with my life worrying about how school will start soon. Classes soon had me battered with projects and homework, and of course, I had to stay after school. While working on a project, I had to interview one of my teachers, which was nothing different. While I was taping her interview and asking her questions, nothing had struck me as different on this day. Later, on while I was ready to check back the interview, while editing it and making sure that everything was fine, I was freaked out by something said at the very last second of the interview. Hello, was the voice. I kept thinking back in the moment with my teacher realizing that we were the only two people in the room. After hearing these words, my mind froze and I panicked. I have never panicked. And this just scared me. 
I'm not sure why. Soon afterwards, I started to to calm down, but I had that eerie feeling that someone was watching me. I couldn't just shake it off. Weeks passed. In addition, this happened a few days ago. I was normally taking a shower, I hope so, in the night when something pushed me. I almost fell in the shower, and this gave me a slight panic, but it soon faded away. Thank you for reading, and hopefully I'll send my mother's and my brother's experiences soon. I like to say that I've had more odd experiences. I'll tell them in time. Thanks once again. So those are stories from you guys. Now, you heard it last year. I'm going to have you, Rachel, repeat yours from your, your mom's house, who, well, by the way, she's still there. Like Joel said last year, more power to her. Uh-huh. Anything new or something that you, you can share that, that has happened at your mom's house since then? Okay, well, I'll, I'll start with the story first so you understand where I'm coming from. Um, but the idea is that we moved into this house and there had been one person that owned it beforehand. Um, and the father lives next door. And so it was the son's house and his family and whatever, and they sold it um, to my mom. And when they moved in, um, upstairs, there it was a, the kid's bedroom, right? So it had like little like train wallpaper and whatever. But on the outside of the door, there was like um, like a deadlock like a sliding big lock on it on the outside so like as if you were to lock the children in which is really weird so my mom was like okay whatever so she took it off and you know covered it all up and was like oh well what not important well throughout the years now of course strange things happen like you know doors opening and closing or slamming um lights on and off drawers you know different things like that um and to start with my stepdad would always be like you guys are crazy nothing's happening you know um the light would go on and off and he's like it's just electricity and he was denying it right so one day he comes home by himself um and he goes into the bedroom and we had like one of those koosh balls you know uh, for the dog and it was on the dresser um, and so he went into the room, turned around, turned the light off, and the koosh ball slammed down on the ground, like behind him. So it was super loud. And you know how hard you have to throw those things for it to make noise. Uh, so he turns around and sees the ball laying in the middle of the floor. So he picks it up, puts it on the dresser, and uh, goes into the kitchen like, okay. Uh, and then, of course, the blinds go up. So eventually he's like, okay, that's enough. And all of the craziness stops. Um, so then he started believing us. Uh, there's a, a little kid voice in the house, usually upstairs. Um, let me and my sister would be upstairs, let's say, and my mom would come to the stairs and be like, what do you guys want? And we're like, we didn't call you. And she would hear a kid say, mom, mom, and call her. And so she would respond, of course, and it, and it wasn't any of us or even when we weren't home. Um, and in the same time, uh, if me or one of my siblings would be, you know, upstairs, we would hear a kid laughing. Um, we would we would be practicing singing because we're my mom is a voice teacher, of course. And you would see the curtain on the window kind of sit as if like a butt print, like someone sat down to listen. Um, and for me, uh, fact here, I, I sleep with my eyes about half open. I don't know why. And so my, my bed would face the window. And so I would wake up because I would see someone walk by the window. And so this happened a lot. And eventually um, it got to the point where they, this thing was getting braver. And it would come and pull uh, the sheets on my bed down um, and wake me up. And so I was getting kind of concerned about it because I didn't want it getting so close, you know. And then one night uh, I was sleeping and it sat down on my bed so hard. Maybe it jumped on my bed. So hard that it pushed the corner of the bed down and threw me out of the bed into the wall, which was kind of scary. And so I was like, okay, that's it. What do you want? I don't, you don't need to be throwing me out of the bed, you know? 
Um, and the new developments since uh, have been the paranormal paralysis. I think I might have mentioned that happened once or twice maybe before. Mm-hmm. Well, this year I've been home a couple times and every time I've been home, so it's been maybe three times now, um, I've went upstairs, slept in, in the old room. Um, and as I'm sleeping in the middle of the night, I wake up and I'm paralyzed, right? And if you guys have heard of this before, you know what happens, but you're paralyzed and you lose all of your senses, but one. So sometimes it's vision and sometimes it's hearing. So for me, it's like I heard like a, a loud pitched noise and my, then my hearing was gone and I could only see. And you can't move. You can't speak or scream or, or anything. And your eyes, as you try to dart away, they get pulled back like a magnet to where they want you to look. So that happened a couple times um, and I didn't see anything. So I didn't know. I was like, well, I don't know what you want me to see. Um, and then the, the third time it was I could only hear. Um, and it was just as if I could hear someone standing there just kind of breathing regular but like watching. So it was really creepy. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. Before we started recording this, we took that break. I, I was, uh, I was telling you about the, uh, the old hag syndrome. That's when you get the same thing, but right. if you open your eyes, you actually see a hag in, uh, on top of you and you'll scratch you or scratch your eyes out or something like that. I've heard that happen. No. So have a good night after that story. Yeah. Well, and my brother was like, you're crazy, whatever. And this year when he went home and slept up there, it happened to him. And then he called me after and he was like, oh my God, I didn't believe you. I was like, ha. Now you believe me? Mm-hmm. So, so as far as I go, I mean, I, the past three, four years now, I've repeated the same story. So I'm not going to repeat it again. If you guys want to hear it, if you guys are new ones and you want to hear it, send me an email. Wait, what? At thegeekspeakshow.com. I'll share it with you so you guys can share it with uh, whoever over Halloween. I will tell you this though, just a couple of weekends ago. Um uh yeah, a couple of weekends ago now. We went to the uh, the Winchester Mystery House for the flashlight tours that they did. So we took the flashlight tour again cuz it's a new version, new stories and new everything. Uh I last year I told you guys that I, I heard something, I heard pianos, I heard oh, yeah. and uh, we heard that needle on the record sound and all that. This time uh, I didn't hear anything, but I did feel something. It was in, uh, those of you who have been there to the Winchester Mystery House. There's the Daisy Room that it was sealed off after the 1906 earthquake because because uh, Sarah Winchester was trapped in there and she just sealed off all that. She didn't want nothing to do with it anymore. We were we, the, the tour walks through there as I was walking through the um, again. Those of you who've been there, what's known as as the door to nowhere. Uh, I was by myself. You know, part of the group was in front. The other group was in the other room, still looking at stuff. So I was by myself. All of a sudden, I felt somebody tap me on the back, and there was nobody there. But I did; feel the air just got electric all of a sudden. You, 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 I, I started getting my the hair on my arm started standing up, and I could feel it. I could oh. feel an electric charge going down. It was it was quick. Then it was over, and I and I called you know I called my my daughter because she was in front, and, and she said what? And she was way over there. So that there was nobody there, no kids, no anybody. So. Uh, I told the the tour guide and said, "Well, it's funny you mentioned that because you know a lot of people have been getting fe- funny feelings there. They've been they have been touched. They've been hearing knockings on the windows there, and there's never been activity there before. But now there is. So I guess there's a new spirit in the Winchester Mystery House. So there's a new one from last year. So uh, we're gonna stop now. That that's the uh, the Halloween stuff for today." We, I'm stopping not because I don't want to do Halloween, but because we've done enough. We've had paranormal investigators. We've had a, a, a Halloween-themed comic book, and we've given you our stories and yours now. So this, after we finish all the trick-or-treating and everything, this Friday, we're going to get to see Indy, Han Solo. You may know him as Harrison Ford on the big screen again in space. Not on the Millennium Falcon, yes. but close enough. 
Ender's Game finally opens up this weekend, Friday. Um, uh, I keep calling him Hugo. I still see him as Hugo, but you're going to see him as Ender Wiggum from this point on. Asa Butterfield plays Ender, and uh, Harrison Ford is uh, Colonel Colonel Groff. So, uh, Summit Entertainment was kind enough to send me some some uh, generic interviews that they did with them because they weren't available because they're a little busy promoting the film right now because oh, they were going to come on. So here they are. Here we'll start with uh, the big one, Harrison Ford. Then we'll hear from uh, Ender himself. So you can listen to this one, Rachel, because there's nothing scary uh, on this one. So that's, I'm that's, excited about let's this. Let's talk one. Ender's game. Then we'll come on back to end this show. Are you ready? Here's a Geek Speak Show quickie. Opening up this weekend is Ender's Game. Finally, the film adaptation of Orson Scott Card's classic sci-fi book, Ender's Game comes to the big screen this this far, like I said, from, from Summit Entertainment, starring Asa Butterfield as Ender Wiggin and one Harrison Ford as Colonel Hiram Groff. Let's kick it off with the legend, Han Solo, Indy, Harrison Ford. Here he is talking about Ender's game. Um, so, obviously at this point you can really choose, you can choose what you do. What is it about Ender's game that drew you to the movie? Uh, you know, I'm always looking for an interesting character in uh, in a film that I think people will want to go see. So, uh, you know, if I read something that I think is interesting, but somehow it finds itself in the, you know, the utility of it is is to, to a movie that nobody wants to go see. I'm probably not so interested in that. This has, um, you know, got the, the look and the feel of a big, active science fiction movie. But it has underlying themes uh, that I think are very important uh, to young people and to their parents and to the society we live in, the times we live in. And uh, this character's relationship to Ender, both uh, mentor and manipulator, um, illustrate, illustrates uh, some of the themes that I think are really important. The book was written 28 years ago predicted the internet, drone warfare, other things that are now part of the fabric of our everyday lives. And, uh, and it also talks about the, you know, the pressures on young people to grow up and assume responsibilities and, and what responsibilities a society imposes on its young people. And the, you know, helps us think about an appropriate moral balance between uh, these elements of our lives. Well, I think that's so interesting is that, although it was 20 years ago, completely beyond seeing how it is today, the themes were just as relevant 28 years ago, and I imagine it'll be just as relevant 28 years from now. I think so, too. Yeah. Um, and I think that um, there's something about the character of Graf who... Um, I don't know, and I'm curious what you think about whether he, he acts the way he does because he believes everything he says or because he believes he needs to do what he needs to do. You know, I think there are, I think he, it's neither one or the other, but some active combination always uh, in play um, in his mind, in his life. I think he's, uh, um, I think he's got a, he, th he feels he has an enormous responsibility. 
but he has possibly the savior of life on earth here in his hands to train and to um, um, and bring to his best possible potential and that there are means both um, um, positive and negative to get him there. He feels the pressure of time. And he represents then the utility that the society uh, um, uh, places on young, bright members of its uh, uh, society. And those are awesome responsibilities. History tells it it's always the youngest and the brightest and the strongest that we send off to practice um, warfare with. Whether it's a child soldier, you know, that's impressed into a, a um, you know, a guerrilla conflict or in a third world country where governance is not uh, uh, so secure, or 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 the potential for appropriate governance is not there, or a big complicated society like ours, which is, is does the same thing in a way. We have to think about the responsibilities that we ask young people to assume. And uh, if we ask them to receive, you know, to assume these responsibilities, what's the appropriate support to give to them? It's proposed that young people have the capacity to, to absorb large inputs of, uh, of uh, information um, more uh, successfully than older people. And that appears to be psychologically correct and true. And, uh, and so this young person is being asked to be, you know, has a, has a particular uh, intelligence and talent that has to be focused into this purpose, to become commander of the international fleet and protect the world from an alien invasion. But he's got a skill that we didn't figure to be a military capacity. He's got the uh, talent for empathy which allows him to understand how his um, enemy feels and to help him create um, um, a strategy because he understands how they feel, how they will behave. Sometimes that strategy is, is expressed in, in the most uh, 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 scary kind of brutality. But it also, in this case, allows him, uh, once he has defeated his enemy, to feel responsible uh, to it, which is an interesting and very sophisticated complication. Well, that's one of the reasons I think the movie may be for all ages, because you know there was a time when we used to go to the movies and you would go talk about a movie after. Mm -hmm. and this is the kind of movie I think where you could... That's why I think this is great for families. Young people and their parents should go to see this film together because the questions that will come up are best answered in the context of family. And the family's responsible to their children, um, um, much more responsible, much more appropriate than the overall society, which is sifting sh uh, sands. Um, but but uh, the responsibility a, a parent feels for the, for the opportunities that their child has, for the for the position their child finds themselves in, um, to accept what uh, may benefit the, the culture overall, is is a complicated relationship that I think 
you know, we need to exercise these these uh, thoughts and these concerns. You know, it's something you can easily probably bring up with your children, but in the context of seeing a movie where it touches that. Exactly. Um, and my last question is, um, working with Viola and, and the character, the way the two characters played, I kind of felt like he almost appreciated that he dumped off the moral part on her. And that was her, like, her function, and he knew it yeah. wasn't appreciated her, but... Yeah. Well, the, the character of Anderson, played by Viola Davis, is, uh, you know, the, the sort of um, moral compass that, uh, that um, um, Graf feels is an um, impediment to the result that he's looking for. And so he, um, he finds uh, himself in opposition to, uh, to Anderson, the character Viola plays. And he knows that, 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 you know, that, that he's responsible for doing things that, uh, that she finds abhorrent. And finally, um, he asks her to uh, abandon her command. Uh, because he he can't he's fixed on a on a on a uh, an outcome that she's not in sympathy with. I'm out of time. Thank you very much. Thank you. That of course the great Harrison Ford. You're going to see him this weekend in theaters as Colonel Hiram Graf, and this is the guy he's going to be training. The one, if you will, Ender Wigan, played by Asa Butterfield. Here he is talking about Ender's Game. Um, so tell me first about um, the casting process and how you sort of got you know the role and what you went through and what you responded to. It was, uh, it was a relatively short casting process compared to a lot of things I've done. And um, when I first saw the script, I mean, I was like, I, I wanted this so bad. I'd never, I'd never actually wanted a film more than this. And I'd never worked this hard to, be, to get this role. And... I Skyped with Gavin numerous times before I even got the role, before I put it on tape about my idea for the film and my idea for my character and we shared our visions for it and I read the book as well and loved that. I'm a huge science fiction fan but um, I ended up flying to LA after I sent out a few tapes to meet Gavin and audition in front of him and uh, yeah, it was just after that where I found out I got the part. What, um... What would you um, tell, describe the story and tell people the movie's about? Um, it's set about 50 years in the future, and it's set from the point of view of this boy, Ender, my character, who is one of the very, very bright children on Earth who were taken up to battle school, where they are taught how to be the next commanders, the next leaders and strategists in an aim to use them to help save Earth from an alien invasion, which they're convinced is coming imminently. Um, so you definitely had a vision for this. You said as you were like Skyping with Gavin, what um, what did you see? What was your vision of your character? I think Ender's character is definitely Ender's def character is definitely one of the more complex, or one of probably the most complex character I've played, and. Having the book there is always an invaluable resource as an actor. All of that information which you can take and put into the role. And for me, yeah, Skyping with Gavin was immensely helpful. And 
experimenting once we finally got to New Orleans, experimenting with the character and finding the right tone in which he felt like he did from the book, yet he felt like my own character. Um, tell me a little bit about working with Harrison Ford, especially if you're a big sci-fi fan. What was that like? That was amazing. I mean, I was a bit intimidated, as anyone would be, working with the Harrison Ford, but he's such a nice guy, and he really makes you feel comfortable, and he brought the best out of all of us, especially the younger actors. Um, someone was saying earlier that you um, kept some distance from him while you were shooting. Um, was that on a very conscious choice or to do that, or was it just what happened because you thought you were staying in character during the day? Or Well, it was never something that we'd verbally agreed. It was just a mutual understanding that this, this would be helpful, this would be beneficial for both of us to do this, and to know that this, however difficult it may be off camera, it's going to be beneficial in the long run. And I wouldn't say it was method, but it was definitely more in-depth than I've done before. My guess is you probably spent more time and got to know him better now in the post-movie press phase than during the movie, if that was the case. Yeah, in a sense. But um, we did get on so well throughout it all. Um, and then talk a little bit about working with Haley um, and Abigail both. I mean, these are both two you know, young actresses who've already you know, made their marks at a young career like yourself. And was that... Um, what was the experience like? That was... I mean, the whole cast was amazing to work with, and Haley, we had such a good time on set. We all got on so well, and there are so many hilarious experiences that we had. And then Abby, who his character's Valentine, who's so pivotal to Ender's journey, it was amazing being able to work with her. And, yeah, we all got on so well. Um, obviously, being a sci-fi movie, there's a lot of special effects and a lot of green screen work. Did you find that... Fun, hard, interesting? All of the above, yeah. Um, it was it was fun in the sense that I'd never done it before, and it was, or well, at least to this scale, it was new to me to use my imagination to this level. And um, it was hard work as well, because not having something there to react off of is never going to be the same, because it is just down to you. When, you're, when you've got another actor to work off of, it's like a duet you're relying on them as much as you are yourself and uh yeah but it was it was a lot of fun yeah what this is a book you know based on a book that was written over 30 years ago and yet it seems today the sort of themes messages the the, the technology that he sort of foresaw are all really rele relevant do you, do you do you have any sense of why it might be still that way today um yeah you're right i think all of those ideas about leadership and children and war and how little things such as Graf's relationship with Ender are so important to the story and then the story is so important to not just today's culture but when it was written 30 years ago and probably 30 years from now all of those themes are going to be relevant. Um, I hear you um, You all went to like a space camp and you also obviously shot the movie away from home. Did that sort of process sort of bond you in a way that probably similar to the way the characters in the story were bonded because they were living this sort of intense... Yeah, in a way, I think. Um, I mean, we all bonded so well and got, got to know each other so well so quickly through space camp and on set. And uh, 
Yeah, being away from your family is definitely one of the harder parts about filming. But, uh, yeah, being able to trust all these people so much, it allowed us to push our relationships on camera that much further. Um, what would you tell someone about like why they should go see the movie or what they would, would like if they went to see it? I think that going to see the film, lots of people are going to get very different things out of it. It's up to the audience to decide what they'll get out of it and because it was so complex and so many questions that can be raised which are relevant today it's uh it allows for yeah it allows for people to get completely different things out of it and you've seen the final film what did you take away from it i loved it i mean it was it's amazing to be able to firstly act in it and then Especially with this level of si uh, with special effects, it's impossible to tell what it's going to look like in the end. But um, yeah, it will, it, I can't put into words how happy I am. When you're there and you're visualizing all that stuff and the green screen, and then you see the movie, does it look a lot like you thought it would, or are you like, oh wow, I'm surprised it looks like this? Um, yeah, you could. I don't think you can ever tell what's finally going to look like. I mean, you have an idea because of what Gavin's shown in the previs, but, yeah, it's you can never really tell what the final picture will be like until you see it. Out of time. Thank you very much. Thank you. So that's Ozzy Butterfield and Harrison Ford. You're going to see them both this weekend on the big screen in Ender's Game, directed by Gavin Hood, by Summit Entertainment, and also be on the lookout for a couple of very cool trailers. Uh, you may have seen them online already, but doesn't beat the experience you get watching it on the big screen but ender's game opens up this weekend in theaters everywhere i'm ralph bakshi and you're listening to the greek speak no the geek speak show the greek speak show is a place you eat but this is the geek speak show have fun i had a ball it is the geek speak show so now we're calming down from all the halloween stuff for this week at least so uh that also means that for us, for geeks, we get back to our usual geeky lives, which means reading comic books, playing Arkham Origins, if you haven't finished already, for the second, third time. And it also means going to, finishing up the year, going to conventions, which is something we do on a regular basis. This weekend here in the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically at the Hyatt Regency in, at SFO, is, is uh, Convolution 2013, theme this year, Gates of Horn and Ivory, the Realms of Dream, on to talk about this year's Convolution is Tycho, who's the business services director for Convolution. Tycho, welcome to the Geek Speak Show. Thank you for having me. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're probably pretty busy as you we get close to the day. Uh, so for those who may have been who may be hearing about it for the first time, tell us what is Convolution. Well, Convolution is a science fiction fantasy and media like genre event. <clears throat> Most of what we cover is uh, the typical things that you find at a general science fiction fantasy event. However, we try to differentiate ourselves a little bit from the traditional panel roots of most conventions uh, by providing a lot more hands-on sessions and a lot of opportunities for our guests and more professional level uh, attendees to actually network and build business relationships, <clears throat> which is part of the business of the whole sci-fi fantasy uh, industry, really. Yeah, and speaking of the guests, talk about some of the guests that will be at this year's Convolution. Um, some of our headline guests for this year are Wendy and Brian Froud. They are uh, puppeteer, 
and uh, concept art couple that did a lot of work on the Labyrinth movie with uh, starring David Bowie. Um, they also worked on a number of Jim Henson projects by providing either the concept art and or the builds of the puppets themselves. Um, that includes things like Dark Crystal, and Wendy Froud actually uh, designed and, or rather built one of the first uh, Yoda um, Muppets for the Star Wars Empire uh, movies. Yeah, definitely very, very cool. Uh, um, so, so like you said, you, you're not, you, you don't, you try to not be like this, this typical convention where you got the panels and everything. So, so how, 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 where will, where will we be able to see the, the guests if we're going to be attending Convolution? Well, we do have a lot of panels that are for just the regular attendee that doesn't want to get into the business of being a fan. Um, so you'll be able to see Brian and Winnie Froud either at a guest of, author, uh, guest of honor signing, or you can uh, meet up with them at uh, one of the movie screenings that we've actually secured the rights for, which would include both Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and they'll be doing QA sessions for those. Um, you can meet up with our other guests of honor, Richard Kadri, um, or uh, Wendy and Richard Peeney uh, of ElfQuest fame. And again, that's all. We have guest of honor signings for them, as well as uh, specific panels that they'll be attending um, that you can basically go and ask them your, your questions that you've been dying to ask them for years. Uh, and then we also have a meet the guest session on Friday from 7 to 8. And that is your opportunity to meet all of our guests and uh, with the other attendees. And you can basically grab some snacks and uh, a drink and socialize with them as if you're normal people instead of, you know, kind of the reverence that is typically placed on a lot of our, uh, a lot of our guests. And, and, and this is, this is included in the, uh, the general admission or is it a separate ticketed event? No, that all of that is included in the general admission. So we don't charge for the autographs. We don't charge for going to meet the guest event. Um, basically it's, your general admission will get you into everything that is not a like a workshop where there's a materials fee. So um, there are upper level passes and things like that that get you into special VIP areas, but uh, all of those unfortunately have sold out. Yeah. So in case you guys want to go or find out more, you guys can go to con-volution.com. Tell up on our, on our guest link section. Just click on the little logo. It'll take you to the site, and you'll learn everything. Get some badges and, and everything for you guys. Uh, on, also on that website, there's something called fan to fan, face to and face to face. I like the idea. I'm gonna let you talk about that. It's I think it's pretty cool. Well, since we had so many F's in the uh, the title of that little area, we decided to call it F squared to really kind of make it a convolution product. But we realized that a lot of um, other conventions and uh, podcasts, uh, various shows, things like that, need to be able to advertise to our community as well. And so we really work to partner with other conventions, whether or not they are specifically sci-fi fantasy or not, um, as long as they kind of fall into that uh, fiction media sort of arena. We try to work with them to provide advertising opportunities, such as fan tables that are free, and you can basically sign up for those uh, through the website. Again, unfortunately, they're sold out at this point, but we have a lot of representatives from uh, World uh, Science Fiction Fantasy Convention, uh, we have other local conventions that are advertising for you to, to come and, and attend their events. And then again, the, you know, the local community groups where it may not necessarily be a big convention, but it's specifically uh, a, uh, like a fan group that meets on a weekly or biweekly basis. Um, one of those starting a party is the local science fiction fantasy uh, organization, uh, ASFA. So you can go and meet those folks, and that way you can get your convention kind of fill uh, as you want throughout the year. 
But uh, we have a lot of these opportunities where you can throw these parties to advertise your event and really talk up, you know, the, the experience of being a fan at those events. So we try to work with the community to develop really good, strong ties that benefits everybody. Yeah, I, I liked it when I when I read it on, on the on the website. It, it's it's like social media, but really, literally social. Where you actually get to meet people and, and and you know find about new things that you may have not have heard about before. Yep, there's a lot of. Uh, usually, we get paired up with another event that may or may not be related to science fiction and fantasy at all because the hotel is so large. And uh, last year, we discovered that the uh, the other group that was using the space and rooms in our hotel was really kind of focused on using creativity and uh, creative projects to expand your professional abilities. And a lot of those uh, attendees from that other group had no idea that we were going to be there. And when they actually came and uh, they started going through the fan table area, which is part of that F squared uh, subject that we were just talking about, um, a lot of them started signing up for those other conventions because they realized that a lot of us are, are basically living the experience that they're trying to further encourage on their own you know, in their own lives. So it was really a great opportunity to expand our community by welcoming in new people and giving them an opportunity to understand what the community is really about. Yeah, he's Tycho. He's the business services director for Convolution. Convolution 2013 takes place against this coming weekend, November 1st through the 3rd, higher agency SFO in Burlingame, con-volution.com. If you guys want to go there directly or just click on the guest link section, it'll go. It'll take you there. Uh, the, the theme this year is Gates of Horn and Ivory, the Realms of Dream. Let's talk a little bit about the the, com- the, the convention as, as a whole. Who came up with the idea for Convolution? Well, uh, there were a number of us that used to work a variety of other conventions. I myself have worked about, I would say, seven or eight different events over the last 14 years uh, pretty consistently. And about 20 of us started, you know, we were all good friends. So we started talking at the end of various conventions that we worked and uh, kind of came up with the idea that maybe it was time to start our own convention and really encourage the whole, uh, the business of being a fan. So, you know, providing both areas of, of material for both the professionals and the regular attendee. But there's about 20 of us that, that formed the original corporation. And then another two years after that, we had our, our first event in 2012. So it's kind of a, a big group effort from the, you know, the major owners of what we call Consanity Inc., which is our parent company. So it's, it's, it's really a team effort. I, I, I have to say that it's hard to pin down a specific person or a couple of people that came up with the idea, but many, many conversations at the end of com- uh, conventions with, you know, in the bar, basically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so then this is Convolution's second year? This is our second event. Okay. Uh, so, uh, this is like I said, it's only going to be the second, but uh, hopefully it'll be it'll go on for a long time. But how, how do you do? You guys talk about when you're in the bar. Do you talk about how do we keep the fans coming back without becoming kind of like you know as big as San Diego Comic Con is? Uh, um, the biggest complaint we get, and we do a lot of stuff with them also. But a lot of the biggest complaint we get is that the the comic books aren't really mentioned in there. It's more of you know the Hollywood, the TV, the video game stuff. How do you guys want to keep the the sci-fi fantasy fans coming back without be, be, without losing sight of the fact that it's a sci-fi fantasy convention? Oh, uh, this is a hard question to answer, and I have to choose my words carefully. Um, I have actually myself never been to San Diego Comic Con primarily because it is so large. Um, I can't imagine going to a city that is barely able to handle the capacity for the number of people that are showing up for Comic-Con. 
they have spread out quite a bit. But if you look back into Comic-Con's history, they actually used to be a small fan-run organization, very similar to what we started at Convolution. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to, to really pay homage and, and hang on to those roots and at the same time, um, you know, provide, again, those business opportunities for people that want to take a next step, whether it be from, uh, like myself, I am into photography, so I'm trying to do my first gallery showing at Convolution this year and getting some help and advice on how to, you know, go from, oh, look at this pretty picture that I took for my friends, to I'm actually producing art and selling it. That's, that's a big step. So we really think that... Um, Basically, providing that opportunity and that information will really set us apart from, you know, just kind of the standard uh, panel-based convention. Um, and then we kind of look, because of that, we look at what the current market trends are um, when it comes to advertising yourself, advertising, you know, using social media to uh, get the word out, and really expanding the, the use of the Internet and online resources to be able to, to better the whole business of being a fan. Um, but the part of the, com- the co- uh, Comic Con conundrum, so to speak, is what, what's too far? How, how far can you go with, you know, allowing in outside interests and outside organizations or in Comic Con's case, companies, uh, you know, media companies, major uh, publishers and that sort of thing without, I don't want to say selling out, but without going so far as to, to have things where the fans are beginning to question whether or not this particular TV show falls in line with a sci-fi fantasy genre. Um, so we're, we're really trying to keep it focused on things that are relevant to the fans and yet not going so far as to take in money just for the sake of, of you know being able to add sponsorship dollars to our event. Um, I guess the, the most common example I always use is it's okay to have a, a a car being advertised at your event if you're advertising it in the stream of, we want to go to Burning Man, this is a great car for Burning Man because, but we don't want to have just a Ford Focus sitting on the, the, the trade show floor because Ford happened to give us a bunch of money to do it. Right. I guess that's really kind of the big difference, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm, I'm gonna kind of speak for you, Tycho, but you, you correct me if I'm wrong. Neither Tycho nor myself. We're not saying that there's anything wrong with if that's the model for for those kind of conventions. But I'm just saying is it, you know, you, you don't you don't want to lose focus on 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 what the convention was about because yeah, you're right. San Diego Comic Con did start as a a, a comic book convention. It's, it's all you had is just you know a few tables with um, back issues and maybe some some new ones and maybe some collectibles. But now. You know, be and part of it is is because in with Comic Con coverage is because you know it's it's just uh, so mainstream. All the comic books are now movies or the big blockbuster movies. So there's no way that you can't include them. But you know, there is kind of a fine line. I mean, you know this because that's that you're in the business of planning conventions. There's a fine line that you do have to walk in and between give, giving people what 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 they care about, not just what they like. Yeah, and I, that's that's absolutely right. And and a lot of it really comes down to, I mean, if you look at CNN and a couple of the other major uh, uh, news organizations, they actually have entire sections now dedicated to either geek life or when Comic-Con is happening, they have a whole, you know, uh, multi-reporter coverage of these huge events. And then they start posting all the pictures that they've taken, you know, in the lobbies of the, the cosplay people and that sort of thing. And we're really trying to keep it so that, if we were to receive that kind of media coverage, that it would be really focused on the, um, you know, the positive and professional and, 
like community-based aspects of it as opposed to this being kind of, you know, an oddity or something of interest just because it's different. So, uh, you know, really embracing the in, the mainstream of the industry now and at the same time still trying to make sure that everybody feels comfortable with, you know, attending the event just because they want to have a good time as opposed to, you know, I've got to go and make money or I have to go and be a business professional too. Yeah, and there is going to be a good time, you know, going to Saturday night now. The, the Goblin King's Masked Ball is going to be happening. Talk, talk about that. Um, the Goblin King's Masked Ball is a creation of my boss, uh, the chairwoman for this year. Her name is Kimmy. And uh, Kimmy basically realized that since we have these guests of honor that are so focused on a lot of the, uh, like the, the Labyrinth movie, as well as, um, you know, the, the whole idea of Gates of Horn and Ivory, it's, it's really focused on um, the realms of dream. And so having this ball was really her brainchild to bring all of that stuff together where you can, you know, go to this Goblin King's ball, show off your costume that is part of a dream um, or is relevant to the actual media that, that we're kind of tied to on that one, which is the, the Labyrinth movie. But um, this is the, the first time that I've ever worked a convention where we've gone out to Kickstarter and raised um, quite a bit of money for the, the actual ball itself. So we've hired outside AV company to come in and, and do all of the work for lighting and sound for us. Um, we've hired performers, so we have uh, an aerialist and a couple of other um, events that are during the, the, King, the Goblin King's Ball, but are not the kind of thing that you would kind of expect from a, a typical fan-run convention. So we've really gone and tried to push the limits on bringing in outside uh, performers and really making it a night to remember instead of just having you know a DJ and a dance floor and some lights. Yeah, so this is definitely an event you want to be at on Saturday night. Absolutely. We're, we're really kind of actually beginning to wonder about being, you know, being able to handle all of the, the people that are coming uh, by just watching the feedback that's coming in through Facebook and our, uh, our pre-registration sales. We kind of expect that there will be three times as many people at Convolution 2013 as there were for our first event in 2012. And uh, so we were looking at about, we had 100 pre-reg for 2012. This year we have over 300. So it's, it's growing very rapidly. And if you want to get into the Goblin King's Ball, um, unfortunately you're going to have to come in and register at the door. But uh, it looks like it will be a very well-attended event. Yeah, and speaking of, uh, is is Convolution 2013 is it sold out or is there still some tickets available? Uh, well, we don't we don't really sell tickets. We sell memberships, um, but basically pre-registration is closed at this point, and we have, like I said, about well over 300 uh, pre-registered. There is still space available. However, you'll have to purchase your uh, memberships at the door at our registration desk, which is down in the Regency Square on the first floor. Yeah, you can get all that information at the con-evolution.com. Like I said, just click on our guest link section, click on their logo. It's on there. It takes you to the website. You can find out all about it there. So Tycho, again, he's the business services director for Convolution, Convolution 2013, taking place this weekend at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco Airport in Burlingame. Tycho, thanks a lot for coming on. You're welcome back anytime. We'll, we definitely got to cover you guys every time you do this. Hopefully it will be a an event that goes on for a long, long time. Oh, we hope so too, and I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, reach out to your your listeners as well. Yeah, oh, they they love this stuff. I'm pretty sure you're going to get a lot of them over there this weekend. That would be cool. It's you know, it, it, the beauty of it is that it's so easily easy to get to the event. Um, we have public transportation. We have uh, validated discounted parking. So being able to get to the event and hang out for just a day should be really easy. 
Um, unfortunately, our hotel rooms are sold out. We do have an overflow, but uh, hotel rooms on site are sold out at this point. Yeah, well, hopefully you're you're local and you guys won't need to worry about hotels and you can just go there and just enjoy the weekend. Yep, now that BART is no longer in straight, just take a, a yeah. BART train over to the SFO airport and there's a shuttle that's free that'll take you straight to the hotel. Yeah, so again, thanks, Taika. We'll see you this weekend. Awesome. I look forward to meeting you. Okay, so there you go. The Geek or Treat, the Halloween show, whatever you want to call it, a little bit of everything for everybody today. People who get, who who like the stuff, like Angel and I, who like to get scared. Boo! People like Joel and Rachel who don't like to be scared that much. But you do like our stuff. There's a couple of things going on. Ender's Game, we talked about. We heard from Harrison Ford and from Ender himself from uh, As a Butterfield. We also heard Convolution here in the Bay Area. Sci-fi fantasy convention happening. We'll be there. I hope you'll be there, too. So that's the show. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm tired already. We haven't even gotten trick-or-treating. I know. We've been through so much stuff. Let me remind you all, again, the two big announcements I made concerning the Geek Speak show. One, the Geek Speak podcast network you guys can join us come to my side you don't know the power of the dark side you can mm. you, you can join us you know jedis I, we've, we've had this discussion before they don't they don't they're not that powerful there's a, there was a sith run under their noses they couldn't find them but that's another discussion for another podcast there's an idea mm-hmm. whatever you guys want to talk about a geek, geek culture comic books video games po- cosplaying whatever it is books even we do have a book club hello uh, we still like books. Send me an email. Wait, what at thegeekspeakshow.com. Let me know first. Hey, I've always wanted to do a podcast. What can we, what, what can I, how can I join you guys? And I'll show you how to join the dark side. Or you may already have a podcast and you want it to be part of you. Maybe you want to get a little bit more listeners. You can, we can share a lot of sharing on here. Sharing yeah. is caring, as uh, I think somebody said here on here. I think it was Joel or somebody said that one yeah. time on here. Not my candy. No, you already finished it. That's why yeah. you're bouncing <laughs> off the walls. But. Uh, send me an email again. Wait, what at thegeekspeakshow.com. You, starting January 2014, you can be a part of the Geek Speak Podcast Network. And we did it last year. We're going to do it again. We're going to end up the show giving out awards to the best of the best of the best with honor, sir, in geek culture. Best movies, best TV shows, best comics, best video games. I think I'm best playing it now. Arkham Origins. You guys are playing that one also. Uh, I, that, I'm not saying that's what it is. You're gonna, you, you are going to have to vote. The ballot is up online. You guys can go on there to geekspeakshow.com. It will be there. It's going to be on our Facebook. I'll tweet it. I'll I'll even put it in, in some of our local comic book shops. Flying Colors will have some. Mission Comics will have some. Uh, Lee's Comics will have some. Coastside and Pacifica, they'll have some. And we will tally it all up and tell you all who won. I'll remind you again. I won't say who, but the lifetime achievement, I can guarantee you it's going to be impossible to pick between this one or this one. That's all I'm going to say. <sighs> have to think about it. So that's it. As we say every week, I'll take it this time just because I can. Come on back next week and we will speak geek no more. Boo. Henry and the gang will return next week with an all new episode. The Geek Speak show is powered by GeekTyrant.com, MightyBill.com, Ramascreen.com, ZergNet.com, and Collider.com. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes. Follow them on Twitter at GeekSpeakShow1. Become a fan on Facebook and watch event coverage on YouTube slash GeekSpeak videos. See you next week. Cheerio. The GeekSpeak Show. Okay, one last one. Boo.